Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Christian Hunters of America podcast. We have Hunter Weems on today's episode. He is the owner and operator of a guide service called Arizona Custom Hunts. He is based out of northern Arizona in the Flagstaff region, but he is a guide service that concentrates on all big game species all over the state, uh, from the north to the south and the east. He has expertise in all those areas and all those units. This episode is going to be a little bit different in the sense that we're not talking about specific species or application strategies. This is about kind of the misconceptions of why people use guides and why people, uh, the benefit of using a guide, kind of articulating and hearing his viewpoint as well as uh, our viewpoint on why you would want to use a guide how much time you spend on your own and especially how much money you spend on your own whether it means uh, boots on the ground or fuel getting there whether you live in the unit that you're hunting or not you're you are gaining a little bit and and or gaining a lot more if you you use a guide hunter weems is going to be speaking about that and he's going to articulate and explain why Getting that first-hand knowledge and having someone that has been in that unit for years upon years and knowing that an animal may be there all summer long when you're scouting and may not be there when the animal is in the rut, whether it's elk or deer or bighorn sheep or antelope. So we're going to be speaking with Hunter Weems from Arizona Custom Hunts on this episode, and we hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Christian Hunters of America podcast. This is Chet Gray. We have a special guest, Hunter Weems, on the phone today. We're going to be speaking about the benefits of using a guide. It can be used in any other states, but Hunter is a guide here in Arizona, targeting a lot of the big game species. He's going to talk about the pros and the cons, as well as all the other different misconceptions of using a guide, um, why someone from Arizona would want to use one even though that they're a resident, why someone from out of state uh, would always use one. And a lot of those misconceptions that people get from using a guide, um, if you've never hunted that unit, if you've never hunted that particular species, as many know, when you come here and you start accumulating points, you you may not be able to target a trophy bull in an archery unit during those September months. And you can do all the scouting in the world, but you may not know that species um, ins and out like a guide would. So Hunter's going to speak a lot about the pros and the cons, um, the misconceptions about having a guide. And as always, I have Mike Ornoski in studio today. How are you, Mike? We are doing good. We are uh, starting to heat up here in Arizona. And uh, the great thing is, is elk hunting and fall hunting is coming very quickly. So we're doing good and excited to have Hunter on today. And Hunter, can you hear us? Yep, I got gotcha. you. All righty. Welcome, and uh, thanks for joining us today on another episode. If you could just quickly introduce yourself and uh, speak a little bit about your your background, and we'll get right into it. Well, thanks, guys, for having me, first off. Um, I own Arizona Custom Hunts here in Arizona, obviously. Um, it's our second year in operation. I've been... Uh, guide outfitter in Arizona for a little over 10 years. Uh, my dad, he preceded me in the outfitting world. He had a uh, Weems hunting or um, Weems outfitters for a long time. And then he 
did a couple hunts for some other guys, but he had been guiding for about 35 years. Um, so it was nothing, nothing new there as far as getting into it. Once I came of legal license age, um, I've just been hit the ground running after that. And I'm happy to have the guys that I do with me. And we operate in Arizona on every big game species there is, whether it be sheep all the way to coos deer, uh, guided turkey hunts, we cover it straight across the board. Love it. Love it. Um, obviously, it seems like a lot of people, um, either just because of age or just because of time is limited nowadays. Time is a precious commodity that many of us are not afforded as much because of our family life, because of our work schedule, whatever the case may be. If you are in state and you want to have the best opportunity to go after whatever species is in in front of you, whatever tag you're holding, you want to maximize your odds. And in doing so, not everybody has uh, the network of friends or mentorship. And because they don't have that or because they're new to the state or they choose not to, whatever the case may be, they may want to go and hire a guide and hire that outfitting group that has been there for years and years. Like you said, uh, you were born into this basically with your dad having a guide service. And what better way than to have that knowledge than to, you know, potentially pay for a guide and, and be able to utilize those resources. They can guess, you know, and throw ideas out in the air. And then you second guess yourself if you don't have someone with you or you don't have, or the friends that you do take are new to that area. And I look at it when I go out of state, I definitely don't know the area near like I would if I was hunting here. And there's plenty of places in Arizona that are so vast that you can never, no matter how long you've been hunting, there's always some new area that you could explore. Um, Can you talk about some of those benefits on why someone here in Arizona would want to hire a guide as well as how much the percentage wise of, I guess it's a two part question. How many, why someone here in Arizona would want to hire a guide and as well as what's the percentage of people that are non-residents that come here for the big game species after accumulating points for years and years and, and wanting to hire your service? Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. It's time um, and resources available. Um, we're fortunate because we do it every year. Uh, Unit 9 Archery Elk is something that I personally do every year and have done it for a long time. So I'm very confident and comfortable with that. Um, and I know when with or without trail cameras, you know, they just implemented the trail camera ban this year. I know where the elk are going to move their natural habits, their patterns. Um, when they go to, you know, leave an area from the summer to go rut, I have a very good idea of what bulls usually go, which direction. Uh, so that's, that's the major benefit of it is having that repetitious time out there and days invested. If you drew a, if you drew a tag, even as a resident and you could make your weekend trips from Phoenix to Flagstaff to go scout for your elk hunt, you only have so many months to do those weekend trips. And then at what point is it actually going to be beneficial for you? And granted, you may be the guy that, pulls into a unit and puts his binos on the tripod and there's a giant bull standing right there in front of them. And that's the one that they hunt all September. Um, that's 
fairly unlikely. At some point, it, especially with gas price prices the way they are right now, at some point it becomes beneficial to pay what we would consider a professional for their service and their knowledge. Residents, I find, don't book guides and outfitters near as often as non-residents. One, because they are closer to their respective unit, and two, because they probably have been in that unit before living in Arizona being a resident. So they have a general starting point, but still at the same time, if they haven't hunted that hunt for five years in a row, they would have a pretty significant learning curve to get to that point. Um, kind of where we would start even prior to our year scouting, we've all already got those you know, years and years in advance. Um, Non-residents making it out here to do a scouting trip is not something that's easy, especially with time and the financial contributions that you're going to put into your vehicle, your gas, tires, food, so on and so forth. It just benefits to hire somebody that is knowledgeable for a long time um, to do that part of that essentially crucial part of scouting um, and preparation for the hunt. So that's that's where it comes into a big benefit for both residents and non-residents is the fact that we have done it for years and we're very, very confident in our past knowledge and what we are going to find, you know, leading up to your hunt that you would, you would have booked with us. Um, I think it's just, it's money well spent in a, in a way that to me, it seems like I wouldn't hire or I wouldn't try to do the electrical work on my house by myself. Um, pretty good chance I'll get shocked. Um, so if you're going to hire or have somebody do that for you, hire a professional, same thing with going into, and these are essentially once in a lifetime tags at this point. So it pays dividends on your end to, uh, to trust a professional and, you know, use the knowledge and the time we've already spent. And that's not even at your expense. You know, you pay for the hunt, the seven days or 10 days or 14 days, whatever it may be, but you didn't have to pay for the 10 years prior that uh, we've been doing this for um, those respective units. And that is a great analogy. So you probably didn't know this, but I'm an electrician by trade and I can't tell you oh, how perfect. many, I can't tell you how many times I went help people just based on them going to home Depot and reading the home Depot book or watching a YouTube video. And I got to go bail them out and, you know, and, caused all kinds of other issues but it's interesting that you oh, also sure. yeah no and you brought up a, a fantastic point so i drew a unit nine bull tag in 2019 so again it's uh-huh. one of those tags that you get and you only get to hunt it so often a lot of times it's 10 15 years between hunts if that's all you apply for and to, and to learn a, a right. unit like unit nine so that was a i love how you tied that in it's funny we didn't even talk about it but I'm looking back, and as you said that, I'm, I'm going to my mind, and I'm, I'm out of the, the Metro Phoenix area, and it's basically a three-hour drive. You know, it's two tanks of gas just to get there. Then once you get there, gas prices are usually a dollar, $2 more a gallon just based on the limited resources there. And I'm right. thinking back that each of my trip was probably a 400 to $600 round trip, you know, for a three-day scouting trip and, and all the time and effort and things like that. And you're putting on hundreds and hundreds of miles of dirt roads looking – and what was interesting, you brought up a great point, is here I'm a Arizona resident. You know, I, I decided to do my once-in-a-lifetime hunt. 
by myself and, and learn it and to really dissect it. But when I, I think back, I think I paid more in personal finance than it would have been just to hire a guide. There's no question when I think about doing the dedication that I did, the fees that I, I spent in traveling and, and all that other stuff and the maintenance. And I remember my, tr- you know, tr- had some issues with the truck and flat tires and everything else that goes with it. My, what I paid out of pocket turned out to be more than if I would have just hired a guide. The next piece that is as this, the cool thing about elk is they're very, you know, predictable, you know, in the summertime. And I thought I had mm-hmm. nine figured out to a T. I was, I went in that thing with confidence. And it was so amazing once they got rid of their velvet and they got hard horned and they, they were like two weeks and all of a sudden were a week before the season. It was like everything I did in that preparation changed. All of a sudden they go yep. to their, their normal habitat. They have these different methods and they start moving and relocating and doing that. And I talked to a few other outfitters up there and they just kind of smiled, looked at me saying, well, you should have been here for the last 10 years. We know exactly where we're going and that's why you're seeing our pictures. And I wanted you to kind of talk about that because I think that's a misunderstanding that even though us that love hunting, we do the scouting, if we're not on that that time period of that hunt, two weeks or one week, if it's a deer or if it's an elk or an antelope or whatever it is, things change within that week when the pressures happen and their biologic, they, they just know it. It's it's amazing how you think you got them figured out and then that hunt starts and it's almost like, hey, what the heck happened? It's like 360 degrees in opposite direction of now I'm scrambling, then you, you lose that confidence and you start second guessing yourself. Right, yeah, and, and with that biological clock that they have, um, Unit 9 is a phenomenal example of it. On the, uh, the game and fish, wildlife catchments, the water catchments, I would go in the summer, let's say June, July, and if I was checking that camera once every two weeks, I'd have about 3,000 pictures. That first monsoon hits and there's puddles in the road and they start shedding their velvet. I would go down to about 400 pictures in the same amount of time. So they start moving. They don't necessarily need the water sources anymore. Everything starts to change. Bulls, when they do hit another camera, they would be five, eight, 10 miles away. Um, you know, a good example of that too is last year, one of my really good friends, Todd Gonzalez, hit him and his dad and his grandpa. His grandpa had a seven West archery bull tag. A bull that we had seen in Unit 9 for the last four or five years. And every time we try to hunt him, he's gone. And there's a lot of natural water in that area. We just could not, couldn't pin him down. Well, last year, Todd's grandpa in 7 West shot that bull. And he was like 398. And I mean, giant bull. Huge. But he had moved in a straight line about 43 miles best i can figure and i don't know exactly where they shot it but it was it was high 30s low 40s um it it was a serious distance and that's we didn't know that bull would go that far that that truly was a surprise but a lot of the other bulls we know that they you know they'll disappear when they disappear for five to 10 days, they're probably making a loop last year, a bull that we hunted really hard um, um, by Skinner Ridge. He he lived right there all summer. Second day of the hunt, I had him at 80 yards. We didn't get it done and he would disappear. And then he'd show back up four or five days later and then he disappeared. They're just doing big loops and circles, but knowing how to move through the country and why I've seen a thousand cows in this area over the years called the nursery. 
why he would probably go loop through there, check for a hot cow, and come back to his home base, and then he'd make his loop again a couple of days later. So just the you know the knowledge that way on how they move is really beneficial, and and that came from you know running the cameras for years, um, boots on the ground, you know, sitting on little puddles in the road couple hundred yards away from it just to see for an evening if an elk is going to drink out of that and if they do are they wallowing are they cruising is there cows you know a lot goes into that that luckily for us as a full-time you know guide service outfitter we can dedicate that time for us we got to spend the same amount in gas luckily i'm in flagstaff so i'm a little bit closer than you in phoenix but i still got to spend the gas but i also am am allotted more time to do that kind of scouting and that's that's what makes it beneficial as in hiring an outfitter but another thing that you mentioned was you know the outfitters you talked to when you had that tag they just kind of smiled at you and said well you know that's why we've been here for the last 10 years you should have hired somebody well that is great and you do see the pictures i know uh, you know running my social media pages you will see the pictures you will see the hero shots you will see the ultimate end result of a successful hunt. But that doesn't reflect the tires blown, the long frustrating nights when you can't seem to figure out where a certain bull went or can't find an elk. You know, it, do, it doesn't, the hero shot doesn't quite um, accurately portray the effort that goes into it and the, and the time investment that we've put into it as well. It's, um, it's social media and it's, it's very much so instant gratification, but for us, it's like the long-term gratification of how hard we've worked and how long we've done it to get to that point. That That's the one part that social media doesn't quite portray the right way. You almost have to make like a video series per hunt, how many days scouting, um, you know, pronghorn guide service. I, I watch their social media quite a bit. And they post every day that um, they're out at day one. And here's a picture of an antelope. Day two, and they'll hit like day 80 or something like that just for antelope. You know, they don't, as far as I know, they don't do anything but antelope. But they kind of accurately portray how much time and effort goes into it. And maybe that's a good idea for us to start doing to really show um, the numbers of days and the time invested. But, you know, you've got to understand that when you see that hero shot, it's, it's usually not an opening day wham bam thank you ma'am thanks for playing it, there's a lot that goes into it that uh, doesn't get accurately portrayed nope and that's that's exactly true because i know on my hunt there was three bulls I, I fell in love with you know we were using the trail cameras and there was one bull he was just like he was like my dream it's just like you almost become you know that becomes your your image you know you just think that's all you think about and he was yep. hitting that tank. He was actually hitting a tank up to like a week before, and all of a sudden he vanished. Then, like the second week, I was just on the as soon as got through the first week. Then that's probably like Wednesday, Thursday, following week. I'm driving by, and I'm 25 miles away, and here's this bull in the back of a, you know, at, at a camp, and I'm like, holy crap, you know, they got that bull, really? you know, and it was just like it was. I was like dumbfounded. Then and I actually knew the guy that was helping. He was guiding and, and knew that and. He gave me the general area, and I'm and that bull was thirty miles from where he was living all summer, and basically just picked up and vanished. And I'm like, so how'd you know he was there? He's like, you know, Mike, I've been up here for twenty years, and we know that in this area there's usually 
two to three days, if we just go in the nighttime, they're going to be screaming. We know that all the bulls have moved in here, and we just happened to hear the screaming, wait till it got light, and that was the first bull to come running up, you know. But, but again, that was right. his expertise and knowing that that area is hit or miss, but they know at some point when they're out there at night, when they hear all the screaming, all those bulls came in to run all those, you know, find those cows and things like that. And it was kind of like, like a mind-boggling thing that kind of just you know, made me realize that I spent all this time looking for this bull, and, you know, he's 20, 30 miles away, and I had no concept of that for sure, you know. And it's, as yep. that's where your expertise, you know, being up there, living up there and guiding, you know, really has the benefits to, to shoot a tremendous bull. And I think that bull is like in the 390s that they shot. And that was the other piece that I wanted to kind of have you hit on because I think there's a, a huge misunderstanding, and I know I'm guilty, is we see these images that all these outfitters show of all these great bulls. And I, I've, I had a bunch of bulls come in, and to judge a bull, you know, between a, a 320 to a 340 to a 360, it's almost impossible if you're not understanding and you're not seeing those bulls, you know, year after year after year because – there's such little characteristics, differences that make them a, a much bigger bull. Because these 320 bulls, I mean, they look fantastic when they're on the ground. And that's where you as an outfitter mm -hmm. have that expertise to tell your hunter or say, hey, you really want to shoot that bull. You know, he's this is what we think he is and you can be happy with it. I think that's a, a huge thing where a lot of people shoot a lot lesser bulls, not really fully understanding what their expectation is too, to that point. Yeah, and on a, on a six-point bull out, there's 21 measurements. If you're an inch off on every one, we'll say you are over on half and under on half. You're you can be a, you can be missing an elk pretty easily on what your anticipated score is. One thing that we try to do is um, the first phone call that if somebody calls me, they've drawn it a tag. Doesn't matter if it's elk, deer, sheep, antelope, whatever it is, they our first conversation, I ask what your expectations are and what you'd be happy with. So that gives us a baseline to say, okay, you want a 350 plus bull on a unit nine archery elk hunt. That is a good expectation. That's very attainable. That's perfect. So for days up to five, if it's not 350, if I can't tell you for sure that bull is going to be over 350, I'll tell you what I think it is. But I will be more hesitant to say, shoot that bull. If I think it's low 350s, I'd rather not be a couple inches off and it'd be 349. So we'll say we can do better. That, that's the one thing that we do well is we will say, no, we can do better. If you love it and you have to run an arrow through it, by all means, it's your tag. That is 100% your call. It's your tag. But in my professional opinion, I think we can do better. Um, and I have been, I have been wrong. You know, I have been wrong. We had a bull in that 2019 season. Um, we just kind of called an audible driving out one morning and I went to an area I knew they always rut well, but there's no natural water. There's no game and fish water. It's just a pocket that seems to always do good. And my hunter Shane and I call a bull in, he walks by, Shane passes him and I didn't get a good look at him, walked up to Shane and said, I think he's big. He's got to be 350. He's, and we had had a conversation. The other bull that we had called in was a, you're right at that 350 mark. And we walked up on the hill and I saw what bull had just come in. And I said, Shane, that's a 370 plus bull. 
I think you should shoot that. And we agreed. And um, we followed him into his bed and called him out of his bed and he shot him and he was 387. So even the quick look I got, I thought it was a 370 kind of bull and I was off and I'd rather be off that way. But that one was, that was humbling. We didn't realize his beams were what they were and so on and so forth. But that was a good, it's nice to have that second person there to say, no, man, I think that you're, I think your scoring is really low or really high or you're close just to be able to say, okay, well, I think his, his first or 17 and that would put his thirds at 20 or whatever they are. It's nice to have that other soundboard there to talk about it, but that's, that's what we're there for is to say we can do better or, Oh my goodness, shoot that right now. You'd be really happy with that if you shot it right now. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think one of the other things that I think through social media and I think the false perceptions that a lot of people have, and, and I was guilty of mine is, you know, I had this expectation. I wanted to I have a unit nine archery bull tag, you know, 370, 380. I mean, that, that was my goal. And I ended up shooting right. a bull that grossed uh, 340, just a real heavy seven by seven, but you know, he was weak in certain areas, but he had, he had the look. And I think once I got that bull on the ground, to me, it didn't matter the score. It was because of the, the hunt and how it all kind of unfolded. And he had that look I was looking for. And I think sometimes through social media, there's such a false sense of reality that everybody has to shoot a 380 bull or 350 bull or whatever it is when it's really a 320 to 350 bull. That's an incredible bull when you look at the Southwest as a whole. And I think sometimes we put those expectations that are unrealistic and and we should never degrade that that bull, you know, that he's not that expectation when he's a tremendous bull. If you were to put him in Colorado or Utah or Nevada or Montana or Wyoming or these different things, that yeah. that would be a, a trophy bull. Do you want to kind of talk about that of sometimes the perception is kind of unrealistic, especially when you have a limited pool of, of number of bulls, but there is always the opportunity to shoot a tremendous bull, and we should be honored and proud, you know, with what when we decide to let that arrow go or that bullet fly. You know, that's our decision. We should be super proud of it. Yeah, I think that when you make that decision to take a life like that, whatever you, uh, whatever comes as the result, you do take that life. Whether you underscored it or overscored it, whatever it is, you still took life and you have to, you have to be respectful of that. You know, that's one of God's creatures that no longer will walk this earth. And you have to be very respectful of that and honor those animals um, for whatever they may be. Um, and, and, you know, like you said, you shot a heavy 340 bull and you liked it. There's some people that they get wound up on. It's just a number. It is just a number. But not many people have put an, a legitimate 350 bull in their hands and held it up in the air and got to hold it, you know. They have an idea of a number and that's what, you know, and, and hunting and we have the record books and we have the, this is and that's, we have social media and it's a good, um, I guess like a common idea of saying how big something is, but your 340 bull could potentially be more impressive than a willow horn 350 bull, right? You exactly. like the look and that's where it, that's what we'll give the best idea of score. If it's about a number there, we hunt with people every year that it is number driven and absolutely nothing else. 
yep. which uh, that's their own prerogative. You know, for us, I know a big bull and I will tell you it's big, but the score thing, it's a good reference on how big something is, but it's easy to get hung up on just the number when, you know, like you said, the experience goes into it too. Um, 2018 was a really good example of that. It was dry as can be. Unit nine was the worst that I've probably ever seen it. And it was, to be honest, it was miserable. If you could find a 350 bull, you were doing something really right. Um, I hunted with a, a girl. She was, I think when she drew the tag, she was 17, maybe 18. Got the tag. It was uh, when they, she got a turn back tag. So she had two points, I think. Wow. And her dad was like, well, we want, you know, 380. Um, and I told him there's one or two that I know of in the whole unit. And we can hunt them. Absolutely. We hunt the biggest we can find. Well, later in the hunt, um, one of the spotters, Carter, he glasses up this bull and he said, you need to come down here and check it out. And we did. And we walked it kind of right into his bedroom and had him at 300 yards bedded. Um, we looked him over for quite a while and her dad said, that's a great bull. And she was more than happy to, to, you know, shoot at him. And she did, she made a great shot, killed the bull. And it was like 363. But for that year, that was, you might as well have shot a 400. We went to camp thinking that we had killed the biggest bull to come out of unit nine that year. Incredible. Um, and the experience was excellent too. She got to shoot it with her dad right there with him or with her and um, got shot on video. It was really cool. So it, the experience matched the caliber of animal, but that's not always the case. Um, and sometimes the number thing can, you know, if we were dead set on 380, we would have gone probably the full seven days of that early rifle hunt and maybe not seen a 380 bull. But the bull that we shot was top tier for the year and the experience matched it the number was a bonus you know that was the biggest bull that she'd ever killed at that point so the number was the bonus but that wasn't um it wasn't all that it's not the only thing that comprised the success of the hunt was killing it you know a bull with that score there was a lot more that went into it yep exactly and I, and I think it took me three months before I let somebody put a tape on the bull I didn't want anything I because I didn't want it I didn't want to lose everything that that bull did and that hunt did. And I really didn't care about the score. Then I finally let somebody talk me into scoring it. And, you know, my head was always, hey, I sh you know, it's roughly a 350 bull, but then he scores it and it came in like right at, you know, 340 and then netted, you know, close to 330. But I was like, I don't even care. And it's because it was the hunt, the experience, and he's real heavy and just a, a typical 7x7. Seven seven. And unfortunately, he was just weak on the fronts and a little bit narrow, you know, but but it was a bull for me of, of a lifetime and a hunt of a lifetime because, you know, I, I was able to accomplish it, you know, you know, doing it basically solo. But then there was, I can tell you, there was a lot of days I second guessed myself. It's like, man, why didn't I just spend the same money and, and hire a professional? And then basically if I'm walking with that professional, I'm basically being, I'm basically having a mentor that's teaching me how to hunt, you know, through a professional. And I think that's something that um, I wanted to touch on too is when they do hire a guide, they're, these individuals are basically being mentored and trained and they're getting to watch everything that you get to do, the tactics and how you transform everything. And that may take us 20 years to, to learn that knowledge on a five to seven day or even a 10 day hunt, basically just witnessing everything that you guys do to accomplish what you guys accomplish. Right. And that's, that's 
a good point too. You know, I, I talk to a lot of people, especially people with max points or 20 plus points. They'll tell me, well, I've hunted for, I've hunted elk for 20 years. Well, by God, that's, that's a lot of years to be hunting elk. I totally understand. I appreciate that. But if you're hunting elk five days a year for 20 years, you'll come in at a hundred days of elk hunting, right? Well, we do, last year I did 208 days in the woods. Of that, probably 50 of them, 40, 50 of them were just in that period of time where the elk were bugling or getting ready to bugle, you know, going to the rut. That was 50 days just last year. So in two years, I've met your 100-day mark. That doesn't make me a better elk hunter. It makes me more knowledgeable of the area and the unit and how they, how elk move in general. So I, I definitely understand and appreciate the guy that has hunted elk for 20 years. But at five days a year, again, you're at 100, and I've done 100 in the last two years, and plus all the summer scouting and stuff. I've watched elk, roughly watched elk for, if you count the late season elk hunts, over 100 days a year. So it it's tough to it's tough to rationalize that with some people, um, but that's what we're that's what we're here for. I learn things from clients all the time. You know, we we try to be a sponge. We try to absorb any kind of new information that might make us more successful on that hunt or the following hunt, whatever it may be. But that's our job too, is to show, hey, look at that track. You know, he's towed in this way. It looks like he pushed off and he went through a bunch of pine needles, but the last track we had was a heavy inside toe on the left, and I think he's going to go to the right right now and probably work out through this cut into this bedding area where I chased bulls last year. So there's there's a whole lot of little knowledge stuff like that that we want to we want to make sure everybody learns something if possible, and there's guys that they don't need it. You know, they don't need any help elk hunting. They've hunted as much as we have. They've got as many days in the woods as we do, um, but they might not know the area. So we can be a good resource of information for the area. But at the same time, we've been doing it very consistently for a lot of years, which is really beneficial for us. I think that goes to what a lot of people don't understand. I think that correlates no matter how long you've been hunting, no matter how long you've been in the woods, whether your dad and grandpa, your multi-generation of going out into that same area. A lot of people here, I'm sure, just like in other states, love that same unit. They want to go to the same unit over and over, and part of that is because their familiarity with it, they're comfortable with it, and they have more confidence. And obviously, in this game, um, you want to have as much confidence as possible. And a lot of people, um, you know, take their friends sometimes show their, you know, their honey holes, give them their little spots. But every time you, you made a key point, every time you go out, you're learning something from a client potentially. And those clients are definitely learning a lot. I, I've never seen, maybe they've talked about it, but just being around people or being around guides, I've never heard of someone saying, I think they went this way. And I'm sure that's going on through their mind. And, um, I don't know what to look for on a, an inward toe press on the front hoof of a bull elk and knowing how that is going to say, okay, you know what? In August, this is probably where they're going. And, uh, 
in September, this is what this means. I mean, those little nuances can make or break a hunt. And you can call and call. You could be the best caller in the world, and that doesn't mean that the bull is going to be coming in. Um, you could have the mm-hmm. best optics. You could have, uh, you know, like Chuck Yeager, you could have the best vision without optics. That doesn't mean you're going to see them. you got to go where the elk are and not where you think they'll be, uh, you know, like yep. you guys have said at the beginning, who knows when you are scouting all summer long and to think that a bull is 40 miles away come opening day. You don't think that. They can cover ground far faster, far greater than us, you know, in a heartbeat. And I'm sure he wasn't exhausted after a 40-mile march to 7 West from Unit 9. But we're putting all that time and effort into it and as a hunter, and you just don't think about that. And the little, the like you said, all those little nuances. Uh, where could puddles accrue? Where could the the rock structures hold and retain that water? Because now there's a lot more pressure, and we've kind of discussed it earlier. No more trail cameras allowed for hunting purposes in Arizona. Well, that means if you have one of these trophy tags and you are not willing to pay an outfitter, you're gonna. Be, you know, if you want to do your due diligence, you're going to be out in the field a whole lot more. And I'm sure that goes the same right. with the, the outfitters, with your company. you got to have a lot more boots on the ground in order to have eyes on these animals. And we can go down that rabbit hole on how we've articulated and how we argued with Game and Fish that that is causing more of a disturbance than having the cameras and checking them versus you being out there constantly and we all know that they come right. in right after you being there. Um, our, mm-hmm. our smell and our footsteps and the scent that we leave after going out into the woods doesn't deter them from coming there within a couple hours, especially if it's near a water source. But just being out there potentially could disturb um, their natural route that day. And the more we're out there, the more people that are out there, the more that's going to change. And you knowing the area of like, okay, hey, Everybody knows there's tons of, you know, they used Unit 9 as an example for the trail cam ban that there's, you know, they exaggerated the number of cameras hanging on fences or T-posts. But, you know, their famous argument of the people that were anti-trail camera was there's 20, 20 20 cameras on this and they're all capturing the same bulls. And I have the people coming in at late at night to to picture it and grab it. Okay. Well, if it's a, not saying that they don't, but if it's a guide from 3C, but he guides up there because he's an elk guide, he doesn't know the area as well as someone from Flagstaff or Williams that is born and raised up there, just like someone from Flagstaff doesn't know uh, Greer as well as it should be. And you don't know where those certain pockets are. You don't know where the rock structures that hold water or the natural drainages or where the wallows are that they, you know, go to over and over and over. And I know Mike brought it up a little bit about knowing those little nuances. You you touched on it, but you have that negative social media perception of everybody bashing on each other because you used a guide. Mike just said that how much money he spent on that hunt. Um, I know several of us went up over the course of the summer assisting and uh, – putting time on trucks, putting time on side-by-sides, putting, you know, gas and and whatnot. There's a lot that goes into it, 
And how do you address those misconceptions? How do you address the people that are here in Arizona that are so against using a guide because they don't feel like they are either needing it or they don't feel like it's worth the money, even though we've demonstrated that it is. Um, I mean, and, and I'm not against the guide at all. I'm not one of those guys that is anti-guide. I've used them, um, especially in other states. And like you said, you touched on it a little bit on more people from out of state are willing to do that because a lot of people a little bit more confident from being here that they're willing to whatever time they are allowed to allocate to that is sufficient in their mind. Now, whether they come home successful or not is one thing, but how do you combat uh, the social media aspect and how do you combat being able to articulate to people that are contemplating hiring your service on why, why it's important, those little nuances, those little areas that now the trail cameras aren't allowed – for hunting purposes, you, you can't go, unless someone's breaking the law, you can't go to all these guide services and get pictures or get drop pins or, you know, I know that was an option. You have to go with somebody or go by yourself and dedicate a lot of resources to that. Right, and I go back to, like, the electrician thing. Mm-hmm. I am not going to do the electrical work on my own house because I would screw it up. It would take me a long time and it would frustrate the heck out of me to try to learn it. And when I need something done now, I'd rather hire a professional that that's what they do. Um, We hunt, that's what we do. So I think that that that's the best, you know, short and sweet way to put it is we have, we hire professionals to um, bake our wedding cake or service our truck. I don't change my own oil it's a time thing. I know how, but I don't, I don't feel like changing my own oil. So I have a professional do it. Yep. hundred percent hunter. And, and we're, you know, we're in the same social media groups on Facebook and whatever it may be. There's guys that will say you're not a real hunter. If you hire a guide, well, you know what? That's not true. You just paid somebody to be more knowledgeable than you at a certain area, animal, whatever you hired a professional. I I'm not an electrician. If I do my own electrical work, that doesn't make me an electrician. You know, it, it's, it's hard to people that have that mindset. A lot of times you're not going to change, right? right? It, it's not going to, no matter what you say or how you articulate it to them, it's not going to change their thoughts and their feelings. And they're, they're, it's almost like the chest beaten, I, I, I did this and that. Well, it, it, sometimes you got to humble yourself, right? You just have to. And when you know somebody's better at something than you, it might be beneficial to learn from them because I, I, would, I would challenge everybody that said, you're not a hunter because you used a guide to come with me on a Unit 9 Archery Elk Hunt and come see the, the difference. Well, are you going to be up at 2.30 in the morning you know, trying to figure out a, a bull or see what he's doing and just listen. And if you heard him once, are you going to just quietly follow him until daylight the week before the hunt and just figure out his pattern? Is, that, is anybody else going to do that kind of legwork to make it beneficial? You know, it, 
there's a lot more that goes into it that people just don't quite understand. And, and with the cameras, it, it's going to put pressure on the animals. It's going to put pressure on us because now if I want to go to unit nine and I want to know everything that's hitting um, sheep tank on the West side of unit nine, I got to go sit there with a video camera until it gets dark. Okay. Well, what if um, another outfitter is going to look for the same bulls on the same tank at the same time? So now we've got two cent, you know, deposits from two different people and that's going to affect the elk's pattern when instead there might be a camera. Well, I can tell you, it took me from running every camera that I had in unit nine, it would take me about 34 hours if I did it all in one shot. Now there's, you can't be in all these places at once with the cameras that are like you used to, which is fine. But now if I dedicate an evening or a morning to go sit at a water source, now I've got my scent trail in, I've got my scent blowing all over it and around it. And no, you're not going to have the same knowledge of what's there. You're going to miss stuff that came in at midnight, but at the same time, there could be four more people with the same idea as you on that day. And now do you think anything's going to come in that just disrupted the animals patterns and their their habits more than anything else not just somebody going in spending two minutes to check a trail camera and then getting out of there man that is a fantastic point because i spent a lot of time i called it the triangle there's basically four drinkers in that triangle up there and that i I, it's just like the light bulb went on could you imagine all four of those main primarily water sources start getting hammered by all the different people kind of watch because we know that that's that's a magical area and, and you know, and, and there's great opportunity up there and there's mainly four drinkers that basically those bulls love, you know, and they cross over and back and forth. And I never even thought about that and the magnitude of the number of people that are going to be watching those four on, with boots on the ground. I mean, that's going to be chaos. I mean, that's going to be so disruptive to those elk in their normal patterns and what they do day in and day out. Right. And, and part of the game and fish reasoning was, Oh, we're having too many, uh, too many confrontations at water because of the cameras. And now, now what? Now I got to go sit next to somebody else. They're going to be pissed off to see me there too. Absolutely. But now instead of just having the cameras there and, and I get part of it is, you know, people didn't have, didn't want to spend the money on hiring a guide, but they don't want to spend the money on running cameras either. So when they go to sit a spot, just luckily, hopefully an elk comes in and it's big enough to shoot or blah, blah, blah. They are kind of putting all their eggs in that basket when we would have known, oh, no, we don't want to sit there. There's nothing that we want to shoot, blah, blah, blah. But that's fine and dandy. Yep. The, the work that I put in all summer when I go sit a water and I video the bulls coming in and out it's going to be a bummer when somebody that shows up Thursday night before the hunt strolls in Friday morning and to sit there when I know what's there and I'm excited to hunt it. Yep. It'll be a bummer that, you know, they're there as well, but that, that part wouldn't change other than the knowledge of what's there for that person. If they'd have run a camera, now it's just going to be people sitting on top of each other, hopefully seeing what comes in. It's not going to change the fact that, it's frustrating when you go to sit a water and there's somebody already there. Yep. That's not going to change. They exactly. can't ban water hunting, right? So yep. it's not going to change the part of people hunting on top of each other. Yes, it will change the fact that a 
a bunch of infrared bulbs go off throughout the night, darn it. And somebody has to check their camera. Well, I can tell you from running cameras as much as I have in Unit 9, on the Kaibab, whatever it may be, that the, the human footprint is so far less with a camera than it is with somebody sitting there for five hours for an evening. Oh, and yeah. there's another guy down the road. And it's just, I, I feel like it's a can of worms that and we can go down that rabbit hole forever. But once you open that can of worms, there's going to be a lot of different fallouts in multiple avenues, you know, because now there is no cameras. And granted, that's fine because I'm still going to do my work. It's part of benefit of having an outfitter. I'm still going to do my homework to put my clients in the perfect position Friday morning. So I'm still going to be out there doing it. But now the guy that can only come up on the weekend, like Mike, you were saying, yep. you can only yep. go up for three days here and there. Well, now, okay, you've got a morning sit and an evening sit for three days. Okay, we've got six times you can potentially see an elk coming into water if that's how you so choose to scout. Six times rather than if you ran 20 cameras for two weeks. Exactly. Yeah, good luck. Exactly. You're not going to have near that. It's going to hurt the DIY guy more than the outfitter because I do this as a profession. I'm still going to go find my ways to make myself and my clients successful. Yep. And I think DIY that, guy, uh, it's better hiring a guide now because yep. instead of traveling up there all the time, it's better to hire somebody that's actually up there and doing the work. Nope, that's true. And, uh, I have a friend, Steve, that actually hired you a couple of years ago. And it's interesting. Um, I think he shot one of the, the largest mule deer on that late hunt and on the Kaibab a couple of years ago. And it was interesting yeah. having him tell me the story. And, uh, you know, he was so excited. You know, you guys are hunting for the first couple of days and seeing tremendous deer. And you're basically just saying, hey, that doesn't meet our standard. We can do better and better. And then a couple of days later, you know, you guys are basically driving. And all of a sudden, the way he explained it to me, and I'll let you expand on it, is based on your knowledge, you're just driving down the road. And all of a sudden, you're just driving. All of a sudden, you just stop the, the truck. Said, you know what? Let's just take a look here real quick. And, and just middle of nowhere just in that that moment of stopping you're knowing the kaibab and you're scouting the years you stop and you look over and here's this you know once in a lifetime mule deer standing there off the side of the road that most people are just flying by but for some reason you just kind of just stopped and, and and found that that buck of a lifetime that he was able to harvest you want to kind of expand on that based on where a normal person would, wouldn't know to stop and with your extensive knowledge of, of the kaibab and understanding it you have these different points that you basically would just stop and know that there's a potential for, you know, that animal to be in that, that area. Yeah. And, and Steve, I've hunted with Steve a couple of times and we've got to be great friends. Um, on his hunt, he, we had a, we had a plan. We wanted 195 plus ideally to do it with a bow, but we knew that the, the archery side, you know, it's a late rifle hunt would be tough. Um, but that was our, you know, that was our goal was to do it with a bow. Um, but that day that he, uh, well, I guess he shot his buck on the second or third day. Um, first day we're passing 185 bucks earlier the morning that he killed, we passed a buck that I, there's a lot of people that would never have passed that deer. Um, but it didn't meet our goal and we were having fun. I told him, Hey, we can do better. If you want it really bad, like go for it. But I know we can do better. So let's just hang on. 
So it was like 11 o'clock in the morning and you'd change your hunting tactics from classing the open areas where the deer would be rutting, you know, in an area where you're going to look over a lot of deer. I just tell people on the kite that the more deer we see, the higher our chances. Law of averages says the more deer we put in front of us, the higher our chance it's going to be big. So we hunt the morning and, and found that really good buck and passed him. And um, we were driving back just to relocate to a new area. And I told him we need to be looking in the shade because these deer are going to go lay down. They've been rutting all night. We need to keep looking in the shade and we just need to cover country. So we drive, hit a new pocket of shade, get out the glass, tear it apart, take inventory. If there, if we saw deer, if we didn't, no big deal. We just keep going. And, and um, yeah, we were, we were headed back into the, some thick trees into the pine trees. And I said, we got to check this, check the shade again. And the buck, was laying there and so get the spotting scope out set it up and i couldn't see the right side really well i could see it had one big uh sticker off the left side and my mind went right to a buck that one of the other guides had had during the summer on trail camera but like nine miles away but it's the kaibab lake hunt you never know what could show up um and i told steve i said you need to get out and get on that deer because that if it's the buck that I think it is, it's a shooter, no doubt. I promise. And he trusted me and said, I've never seen you get excited like that. So I knew that it was serious. Um, so we waited and waited, waited. The buck stood up and I counted all the points. Everything checked out. We met our uh, goal and then, it, and then some. And Steve made a great shot and the buck didn't go 20 yards. Um, but yeah, we just changed our throughout the morning we changed our tactics into doing what i've seen deer do and um kept putting more deer in front of us more deer in the glass and you do that enough times it's going to work out in your favor so steve yeah he's pretty tickled about that buck and i was too i think it was like 205 and 35 wide it was pretty darn special yeah no kidding yeah and i Every time I see him and talk about him, I mean, it's just that's the highlight of his hunting career. And what's interesting is, is he hired you as an outfitter, and I think that's how he met you. He talks more about, you know, forming that friendship, and the the, the buck is almost like secondary. And uh, the friendship and what he learned from you driving around the truck and just the time spent, I mean, it's amazing how that, that whole conversation always starts of this friendship with an outfitter that – resulted in this tremendous buck but it's the lifelong friendship and the impacts that he made you know with you i think that that's a testament of of another side of the guide service that people don't talk about on social media is those friendships and and the things that are built after that that time oh for sure and and that that truly is like the the summary of our friendship what started him and his dad had elk tags um i don't i'm sure he told you the story about the elk hunt him and his dad shot bulls, bang, bang, same time. Um, it was awesome. So the next morning, couldn't get in there, started snowing, got dark, went in the next morning and I was, I helped Steve with his bull, went to help his dad and uh, I made a critical error. And they, my dad always told me, hey, you cut towards your buddy, not your body. And uh, I was cutting towards my body and the knife came out of the bull and went right through my leg. Ooh. Um, yep. so it, it, it was quite the, uh, experience there for about the next 12 hours of getting the elk cut up and then hiked out. And it was, 
to be honest, it was a little bit of a rodeo, but that started our friendship. And then he drew the deer tag and it was like a no brainer. You know, I'm hunting with Steve. That's what we're going to do. And it worked out well, but yeah, the, the bond that we have too with our clients and our, you know, they turn into friends. I want when, whether it's me guiding somebody or one of my guides guiding somebody, I want them to be in contact well before the hunt, build that foundation and that relationship and that rapport with them. That way, when the hunt starts and we get to camp, you don't have to say, oh, I'm Hunter Weems. I'll be your guide for the next seven days. We walk in with a handshake, a hug, and a high five and say, hey, buddy, how's it going? How's your wife? How's your kids? How's life? You know, And then we hunt after that. So that's that's one thing that I really enjoy about doing my Arizona custom hunts is it's a custom experience. We want it to be with smaller scale than some other outfitters, but the attention to detail is what I really strive for. And the benefit of that is making these lifelong connections with guys that, you know, whether Steve draws a tag again in the next 10 years, we know how hard that is or not. Steve's welcome on the unit nine tag that I've drawn this year. You know, he's, we're planning on doing more hunting together outside of the hunter guide uh, relationship. I mean, we're friends to the fullest extent of the word. We are, we're very good friends now. That's awesome. That's truly what it's all about for sure. Yep. Um, Just lastly, my last question, um, that was all positive and we, we love the positivity. Obviously CHA is all about giving back and the mentorship and we help people extensively and quite a bit and um, it's part of our what our core value of giving back how do you as a as an outfitter you develop these relationships um, we see on social media I hate to be uh, end on we're not ending on a negative note let me just preface it but how do you combat all the negative aspects on social media or do you even entertain that when you're trying in today's day and age, social media is required in order to be active, to show those pictures. Anyone can comment on them. Um, you can delete comments. You could be on a, on a forum and, you know, advertising. But what do you do, uh, just your parting words, what do you do to combat that or to, to put your company in a positive image rather than everybody bashing on the guide aspect, everybody bashing on, um, it's cheating or you're not a good enough hunter is, can you leave us with any parting words on that? Yeah. Like I said, I don't think that you can, the guy that has that mindset, you're not going to change his mind. Probably no matter what you do, I can invite him on every hunt. They can come see how we work and how we operate, but it's not going to change his mind likely. Uh, So our goal is, do what's right always um you know there's going to be somebody that says negative things about us at some point i'm sure of it i'm sure it's already happened but that's that you know that's on them if we do the right thing every day we wake up on time and we go hunt hard and we work hard and honor you know the creation that we get to pursue in the land that we get to pursue them in and honor the the client as well and you know I'm a blue collar guy, just like you are, just like anybody else. I don't care if you're 
a millionaire or you saved five years for the hunt, every dollar that's spent on an outfitted hunt with us, we honor that. You know, your money and time is just as good as anybody else's and you make it, you as a client make it so we can do the job that we absolutely love more than anything. So we will just keep doing what we believe is right and working hard. And if somebody has something bad to say about that, unfortunately, that's how this world is now, especially with social media. They can hate on it until they're blue in the face. But as long as we're doing what's right and working hard, that's that's our goal is to do the right thing and to do it the right way. So if somebody has something bad to say, then, you know, darn it, we'll, we will get over it. I promise you that. And we're still going to do what we love to do. But um, that's that's one thing that we have had our company meetings and, and our group messages and things like that. We uh, I, I try to encourage everybody to do the right thing always. And you could, I mean, there's plenty of ways to get around the camera rule and maybe risk it. We're not going to do that. It's not worth it. It's not worth our guide licenses. It's not worth our integrity. And, and honestly, our name, you know, every guy that's got a hat on that has Arizona custom hunts on it. It's kind of like playing for a sports team. We'll, we'll reference high school. Somebody gets in trouble in high school and they play for the baseball team. How does that look on the team? Not very good. Yep, right. So we, we have to, we hold each other accountable a lot. Um, whether it be for making sure that we're all in the woods minimum of a week prior to the hunt starting or doing the right thing. If you're out on the town, whatever it may be, we, we, you're representing a whole lot more than just a hat on your head. It's a, I mean, it's my livelihood. It's, it's our reputation. And in this day and age, your reputation is pretty much all you got. So exactly. we just continue to do the right thing. And a hater is going to be a hater forever. That's, <laughs> that's no that's, joke. That's their, yeah, that's their own prerogative. You know, that's, that's their deal. And if that's how they choose to live their life, I feel sorry for them because they're going to live a long, unhappy life comparing themselves to other people and you know you wake up every day and you do the right thing there's not a whole lot of bad anybody can say about it actions always speak louder than words i mean everybody like you said yep. you can talk till you're blue in the face um about anything and everybody wants to argue nowadays no one wants to have a civil discourse Unfortunately, it is the time and age where everybody has an opinion and everybody sees that opinion, whether they want to see it, you know, in person or, or excuse me, hear it in person. Everybody can see it nowadays, um, whether that's good or bad. Um, I think there's always we've, we've talked about it numerous times in the past that there's pros and cons to everything, especially social media. Um, like I totally agree. You are not going to change someone's opinion that's dead set in their mind on one particular yep. viewpoint. And you living the good life and allowing your your clients to see your actions, to see your your true beliefs, and um, to see the ethics and the honesty firsthand, and what you preach to your employees, and them being able to convey that when they take someone out is is huge. So we applaud you for that. How can um, I appreciate it? Anyone that wants to reach you, how can they book you or how can they follow you on social media? So we have a Facebook and an Instagram page, um, it's Arizona Custom Hunts. Um, you can email me at hunter at ArizonaCustomHunts.com or uh, my phone number is 
888-512-4178. So my phone's always with me. If I, uh, if I miss you, leave a voicemail or shoot me a text and I try to get back to everybody as fast as I possibly can. So, and we do, um, we do an application service. I know there's a lot of guys from, you know, back East that the, the idea of applying is like a daunting task. They're not familiar with the game and fish website and shoot with how much they change things. We have to refamiliarize ourselves every year. Right. <laughs> so, but we, we do handle applications. Our, our application company is called mountain strategics. Um, same phone number. Um, we are on Instagram at mountain strategics. Um, so yeah, we can take care of you for anything Arizona wise. Uh, we help do referrals for other States, other outfitters we've networked and we know a lot of them. So we're, as helpful as we can possibly be. So yeah, that's, that's the best way to contact me is probably through a text or a phone call. Um, but yeah, the Instagram and the Facebook, I, uh, check that often, make sure I don't miss anything on there too. So happy to help whether it be application questions, some guys they'll call and they just want to talk shop and see if there's any new hunts that come about, you know, the regulations changed a little bit this year. Uh, so we're happy to help just discuss ways to apply or different ways of thinking that might get you, you know, your tag that you've been seeking or a sleeper tag, something like that. They do change the regulations often enough where sometimes a hunt will come up that is easier to draw. And you can still, if you have a goal of a 170 mule deer buck, there's a lot of hunts that can offer that that don't, uh, don't require you going to the Kaibab or the strip or anything like that. So we're just here to, to help any way we can before mike closes in prayer i would just want to preface i will gladly shoot a 170 buck if someone has 180 on bigger on their head or on their mind and if <laughs> and if someone says i only want a 380 or bigger bull i will i will gladly shoot that 363 any day every day <laughs> we'll save you one <laughs> all right all right i appreciate it mikey all right, we'll end us in prayer. Uh, Lord God, we just uh, we love you, Lord, and we're just so thankful, Lord, that we can come together and uh, talk uh, your creation, Lord, especially when we're talking about all of us that are that are your sons and daughters, Lord, that you empowered, and we all have different likes and dislikes, and you know we have professionalism on the professional side, Lord, of all these different businesses, and we also have those that love to pursue just on their own. And Lord, I just ask that you would just bless our outfitters out there, Lord. I know that. Sometimes there's misunderstandings and mis misinformation that's given on Lord, but but ultimately Lord, they are they are your children, Lord. And I just ask that you would just uh, give peace and give understanding to all of our outfitters, Lord, specifically like someone like Hunter, Lord, that wants to do the right thing, Lord, that has integrity there, that's trying to provide for his family and and doing the passion that you instilled in him, you know, Lord, as we know that he loves hunting, he loves the outdoors, and obviously he loves customer service of impacting people and part of what he does, Lord. And I just ask that you would just uh, bless Hunter, Lord, and especially when he spends so much time out in the field, Lord, just keep him safe, Lord. And as we heard, Lord, we had the incident where he cut himself, and we just don't know where that can go sometimes. And, Lord, from this day forward, I just ask that you would just uh, cover Hunter and protection and all the other outfitters out there and also protect their families when they're away so much you know, doing what they do in their professional lives. And, Lord, I just ask that you bless our country, Lord, bless our presidential administration, Lord, with so much change, Lord. I just ask for your hand upon us, Lord, and we ask for guidance and also the, the war that's happened and all of those that are affected. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.